We've been making our way through the book of Romans. What a great book it is. Paul has uh, certainly uh, tickled our ears and dove into some theological issues. Uh, And so far in Romans, I'm just going to kind of summarize. We've learned a few uh, very, very important things. We've learned, uh, Paul took about uh, two chapters to tell us that we're all sinners before the Lord. He made it very, very clear that we're all sinners. There are none righteous, no, not one. He's told us that by faith we come to Jesus Christ, and that makes us justified before God. And we've talked at length what the word justified means. Anybody remember what it means? Just as if I'd never sinned, right? You'll never forget it that way, justified. So when you stand before God and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, when God looks back at you, he sees you justified just as if you'd never sinned. He doesn't see your sin. He sees you justified because you're covered with the blood of Christ. And last week we looked at Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. This morning we're going to look at the next, uh, I guess, five or six verses. We're going to look at verses 6 through 11. And uh, last week, not only, uh, let's see, last week we saw this amazing blessing that comes with justification. Paul, you know, and we talked about if if justification, if God looking at us as though we'd never sinned and, and salvation, if that was all we ever received, what an incredible blessing that would be. We would, none of us would stand there and should stand there and say, but God, I want more. you, You owe me more. There's more. You need to give me more. But Paul told us last week there's more that goes along with justification. Some unbelievable gifts. He told us, number one, that we have peace with God. No longer at war with God. And we talked about it's not the peaceful feeling. It's the position that we stand no longer against God because of our justification, because, our, because Christ took the penalty for our sin. He took the wrath of God upon himself on the cross for our sin. We now as believers have peace with God. But he went farther than that. He told us we also have access to God because now we can come before the Lord, which you couldn't do before. It wasn't available. Now we can come boldly into the throne room of God, the writer of Hebrews says. So we have access to God, but he also said we have this ability to stand in the grace of God. And we talked a lot last week about what it means to stand in the grace of God, because there's a lot of Christians that are standing in all kinds of things besides the grace of God. Some are standing in guilt, some are standing in shame, some are standing in embarrassment, some are standing on their works, some are standing on all kinds of things, but we as Christians can stand in the grace of God, and that's where I want to be planted in God's grace, not on my own ability or my own merit. And he also went on to tell us that we have hope, hope in the glory of God, that we could in the future, there was something coming in the future, we could hope in the glory of God. And Paul told us that because we were followers of Jesus Christ, we could also glory in our tribulations. Remember that thought, well, tribulations, why, how, how is it possible we could glory in our hard times or our difficult circumstances? We don't glory because of our tribulations themselves. But we know as Christians that the tribulations that we're enduring are producing something in us. There's something profitable that God's doing. There's some benefit there. There's something that he's allowing. And we can glory and there's something good. There's something, there's something healthy. It's not necessarily easy. Tribulations aren't necessarily easy. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, if I know the Lord holds my life in his hand, I can say, Lord, I don't know why you're allowing this. But for whatever reason, I can learn from this. I can grow in this. And we don't, in a sense, try to get out of them as quick as we can. Our hearts should be, Lord, what is it that you want to teach us? And Paul went on to tell us that it'll produce character and that it'll produce perseverance in us. And then the perseverance will produce character. And finally, the character will produce hope in us. The fact that God is doing something through this difficult situation produces hope in you. You see, you can hope. You don't have to look at life or a difficult circumstance and go, this is it. This is all life has to offer. You can go, no, there's hope. There's hope in my future in Jesus Christ. And that hope that's in Jesus Christ will not disappoint us. Will not disappoint us. Why not? Because we have the love of God that's been poured out into our heart by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And now as we come in, I want to back up. I'm going to read the first 
five verses that I just summarized, and we'll pick up in verse 6 this morning. So chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, we want to keep this in context, so that's why we're going backwards a little bit. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that the tribulation produces perseverance and the perseverance character and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Paul, can you show us how this love of God has been poured out? Look at verse 6. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. When we were still without strength, that means that phrase there, it means morally weak, incapable of doing good. So when you and when I were still without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't die for those that were already righteous. Now we know from previous chapters there were none that were already righteous. But he didn't die for those that are. He came for those that needed to be saved. While we're morally weak, while we're incapable of doing good, at just the right time, at just the right time throughout history, at exactly the time God had planned, Christ died for us, for, the, for, for mankind, just at exactly the right time. But let me ask you this question. Who are these ungodly people that he's talking about? Who are the ones that he died for? Who's the ungodly that he died for? Well, I don't want to alarm you, but look around. Look at the person sitting next to you. Look at me. I'm one of the ungodly. You're one of the ungodly. That, that's us that he died for. We don't like to think of ourselves that way, do we? No, I'm, I'm better than that. No, we're really not. That's what Paul's been showing us, that we're not better than that. We really are ungodly. Earlier in uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 25, Paul introduced us to the word propitiation. And we talked about how it's kind of a funny word and it's not used very often today. And propitiation, how Jesus was the propitiation for our sin. He was the, he was the sacrifice. He was, there was an exchange that was made. He was the substitute. He paid the price of our sin. And, and now Paul says Jesus died for the ungodly. And that word for, it kind of means the same thing. It's for the sake of or on behalf of or in instead of. Or instead of. So the idea is that he died on behalf of you. He died instead of you. He died uh, in the place of you so that you wouldn't have to. So if you're here this morning and you claim that Jesus died for for you, then you must also follow the logic that Paul's saying here. It says, I'm also the ungodly one. I'm also the ungodly one. I'm the one without strength. And I'm the one that's unable to save myself. You see, when you come to that point and you come to the place where you could say, you know what, that is me. I'm ungodly, I'm without strength, I'm unable to save myself. It's when you begin to say, or you say, Lord, forgive me, and I want to accept that sacrifice that you made on the cross. That's what Paul's saying. That's when a life changes, when they come to the realization of that. When your heart really realizes that you are ungodly, when you come to the place where you really say, I am a sinner, because we don't like to think of ourselves that way. We like to look at the person across the hall or across the aisle or down the street or our neighbors and think, well, they're sinners. No, no, we're sinners. That's what Paul showed us so clearly that we all fall short. Oh, some might be worse than others. I'll give you that. You know, I'm not saying that your your, your sin is as bad as the murderer, but your sin is going to keep you out of heaven just like his will. Don't don't, don't mistake that. You know, some might be worse than others in our society. But here's here's the point. If we say that Jesus died for us, then we're also saying that's us, the ungodly ones. That's us, the ones that are unable to save ourselves. That's us that are in need of a Savior. Now, 
if Christ died for the ungodly and there's nothing prohibiting people from coming to Christ, what's holding them up? I mean, think about it. The world's full of ungodly people, right? Including ourselves and everybody else. If Christ died for the ungodly, that means you don't have to clean yourself up. That means you don't have to start coming to church. You don't have to start reading your Bible. You don't, what, what's, what's prohibiting people from coming to Christ, from accepting what he's done? Because there's a whole lot of people that aren't accepting Christ. There's a whole lot of people that I don't believe in that nonsense. That works for you. It's not for me. But wait a minute. Christ died for the ungodly. So what's prohibiting them? Nothing themselves. There really is no excuse for not coming. But what's prohibiting? You see, people would like to find a lot of excuses. But the truth is they just don't really want to change. They just don't really want their life to change. They're happy with the way that it is in, in some cases. If, if, some people would even say, well, I'd like to come to Christ. Maybe you've done this. But I've got to, well, I'll start going to church in a few years. I'll start, I'll, once I get married and settle down and start having kids, then I'll start doing that thing. Or it, it always becomes something that you put off or something that, what, what would be the holdup if, if my past doesn't preclude me from coming to Christ? If my present doesn't preclude me from coming to Christ, why would somebody just not want to come to Christ? Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, if Christ died for the ungodly, this fact leaves the ungodly no excuse if they do not come to him and believe into him for salvation. Had it been otherwise, they might have pleaded, we're not worthy to come to you or we're not fit to come to you. But you are ungodly and Christ died for the ungodly. Why not for you? You see, when you put it in that sense, you say, wait a minute, Christ died for the ungodly. Then why would the ungodly person not come? What would be the reason? After hearing this, and the only reasons that I can come up with is they don't want to. They don't want to. They maybe, maybe it's pride that they don't want to admit they need a, that they're, that they're, they don't want to admit that they're a sinner, that they fall short. Maybe they've elevated themselves because they look across at the person next to them and say, well, I'm better than them. But the truth is they probably don't want to change their lifestyle. They don't want to have to admit that sometimes the things in their life are going to change because although we stand in grace... And I want to make sure this point's clear. Although we stand in grace, when you come to Christ, your life is going to change. It has to. You can't come to the realization that you are ungodly, he has saved you, and then good works will follow or godly works will follow after that. It's got to be in that order. You see, we're not, our, our works that we do don't save us, but they're going to come naturally to those who believe. And they may not come overnight, but there's going to begin to be a change in somebody's heart. You're going to begin looking at things differently, not seeing things the same way. There's going to be this change that happens. And it, it, in my life, it took a long time. Change was very, very slow. But if I look back at my life and say, well, when did you get saved? Right after I got saved, you know what I stopped doing? Nothing. I kept right on drinking. I kept right on cursing. I kept right on going to movies I shouldn't go to. I kept right on doing everything that I shouldn't do. But as I slowly started to pursue God, as I slowly started to go to church and study God's word, I would read something and, that, and then the Holy Spirit would speak to me and say, there's something you need to change here. There's something you need to do. I don't want you talking like that anymore. I don't want you doing that. I don't want you going. I want you to change this. And then I began to change because the Lord put it on my heart to change, not because a pastor or a church or a set of rules that were placed before me put it on the heart to change. Sometimes as Christians, we have walked with the Lord a long time and we want to look back at a new Christian and say, this, let me tell you how you need to live. Nobody told you that. How did you get where you were? You know, let, let the Lord do his work. Let the Holy Spirit convict of sin because that's what he's doing. That's what the scripture tells us. And I always tell people that when you accept Christ, what do, I want you to start spending time with God. And I am confident that God will tell you exactly where you need to change. Because the truth is, I can look at somebody's life and say, you need to change here. And God may look at it and go, no, 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 I know them better than you do. 
they really need to change here because what you're seeing is on the outside. What God's seeing is on the inside of somebody's life and what the outside behavior is only indicative of what's going on on the inside and God can get to the root of the problem where we're seeing a symptom of a problem. So let the Holy Spirit be the one that's ministering to your friends and to your family and to your kids and your husbands and your wives and your loved ones. Let the Lord be doing the work in their life. You encourage them to spend time with God. You encourage them to go to the scriptures and go to church and, and hear the word being taught and watch what the Lord will do over time. And don't, don't miss the little steps along the way because I'm always, I'm always skeptical of the change that happens overnight. We've all met people like that. I accepted Jesus. My life has completely changed. And what happens how many months, a year later, it's they're right back to their old lifestyle. Was the change real? Not necessarily. But let the Lord be the one that changed. In verse 7, Paul tells us just how rare it is that someone would actually die for someone else. Look what he says. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. On a human level, we might consider dying for another human being if we thought they were worth it. If we thought they were worthy of it. I mean, would a husband die for his wife? I hope so. Would a parent die for their children? Probably so. There's certain relationships that we would consider worthy. There's certain things that we would look at and go, well, there's family members, maybe even best friends. Maybe there's, there's, there's a few people that you would look at and go, yeah, I'd die for that person. Maybe, if you were honest. Would you really? Would you really go for that person? Would you really do that? But here's what we need to understand. For an unrighteous person, nobody's going to die. Would you die for somebody you didn't know? God's love is greater than the greatest human love, and he died for us. The great, his love is, you, you, take the, you take the person in your life that you hold dearest, whether it be a husband or a wife or children or a parent, and God's love is so much greater for you than the love that you have for that person. That he died, he died. His love, he died for us when we were still sinners Still wanting nothing to do with him. Still rejecting him, he died for us. While we were still wanting to nothing to do with him. Would you ever consider sacrificing your life for somebody you didn't know? Well, maybe if they were worthy enough. Maybe if they could save the world. Or maybe if it was a scientist who had a, had a he could solve a problem that was going to save the rest of the world. Maybe if, if I could go down worthy, would I ever Maybe. Probably not though, right? I'm not giving up my life. Well, well, I would go to heaven and they would say, oh, may, maybe I would, you know, may, maybe. But let me ask you this. Would you ever consider sacrificing your life for someone who's addicted to drugs just so that they could be free? Would you ever consider that? Listen, if you, if you die in place of this person that's addicted to drugs, then they, they might be free if they accept what you've done for them. They might be free. They could be free. This person that's stealing from people to support their habit, this person that's stuck in it, they, whatever their circumstance, whatever their reason is, they're, they're committing crimes, would you say, I'm willing to give up my life so that they could have the potential to be free? You say, you're out of your mind. Why would I do something like that? You're crazy here this morning. No, not, that's what Christ did. That's what Christ did. You, you think of the worst person in society that you would never die for. You, you, you map it out in your mind, whatever it is. Whatever's going on, I would never die for that person. Christ said, I will. I'll die for them. I'll die for them so they have the potential to be free. I'm not even going to force them to accept it. I'm just going to give them the potential. And they can reject it if they want, but I'll die for them. Do you see the kind of love that is? When you put it in love of a family, I'll die for a family member. But would you die for somebody you don't know who, would, who you would look at and go, oh, they're all messed up. Christ says, I, I got them. I got them. I want them free from that. I'm going to die for them so they can be free from that. 
When we get into Romans, we're going to talk more about freedom and coming in chapter 6 and chapter 7. But here's what, here's what he's saying in verse 7. This is exactly what God did for us. He died for us while we were still sinners. Maybe we're not addicted to drugs or things like that. Perhaps sin was something else. But whatever your sin was that you were stuck in or even are stuck in this morning, God says, I died for that. I died for that so you don't have to be stuck there anymore. I died for that so that sin won't be held against you in the front of the Father. You are now justified if you've accepted what I've done for you. Justified just if I'd never sinned. You get that. That's, that's what we get when justification. Look at verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrates it. I like this. Demonstrates, it means this. It means to cause something to be known by action. It means to cause something to be known by action. You ever hear somebody say, maybe a husband and a wife, I love you, honey, show me. That's what demonstrates means. That's what it means, show me. It's, it's to cause it. God's not just talking about his love for us. Paul's saying, listen, God demonstrated it. He's not, it's, this is not Jesus loves me, this I know. It's, it's not just, we're not, I'm not just telling you. God's saying, I demonstrated, I showed you. I'm not just saying it. He's shown us his love. There's been a demonstration of love on the cross that was for us to see and for us to grab onto and for us to hold. God sent Jesus to the cross because he loved you in spite of your rejection of him or when you rejected of him. In spite of all that, he's like, I love you, I'll die for you. I want to give you the opportunity to be free. I don't want you to have to be stuck in sin. I'll die for you. So how does the death of Jesus, God's son, demonstrate the love of the Father? Well, in the example I used above with the drug addict, would it be harder for me to die for that person or would it be harder for me to send my son to die for that person? You see, see it this way. You might even find, what would you call it? You might even find uh, something inside of you that says, all right, I would die for that person. But what could, for those that are parents, what could you find that would cause you to send your child, your son, to die for somebody? As a, as a dad, nothing. I'll go. Even if I could say, all right, I'm, you know, I, I could be bold enough. I'm, I'm going. But send my son? No way. Nobody gets near my son. I protect my son. I protect my son, but that's exactly what God did. Now, God the Father was the son, and they are one. So think about it. God the Father not only sent Jesus his son, but they are one. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19 tells us that. It says this. That is that God was in Christ. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Think about that. You ever been in an argument with somebody? A fight? You're separated, you're, you're, you're apart from one another, you don't want to talk to them, they don't want to talk to you. Reconciliation is when you come back together. You take that which was broken apart and you put it back together. And that's what God was accomplishing on the cross with, with Jesus. That, that's a, God didn't look upon you. He didn't look upon me and say, I really love him or her. I really love them. It's too bad they're stuck in sin. If they would just get out of their sin, then I could have a relationship with them. If they would just clean up their act, if they would just stop that stuff that they're doing, then, then we could have a relationship. No. God said, I'm going to show them how much I really love them. And I'm going to take the barrier out of the way to give them an opportunity to come to me. That's what salvation is. God says, I'm going to take the barrier out. I'm going to remove it. Sin's the problem? Done. Taken care of. It's gone. Justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. I'm going to take that barrier out. 
The work Jesus did on the cross for you and for me, it's God's ultimate proof of his love. It's the ultimate proof. It's, it's something, there's nothing. He may give us other proofs, and he does throughout the scriptures, but the ultimate proof, he can't give us any greater proof than going to the cross for us. You see, we overlook it as Christians. It becomes a word that we, we use. Oh, I'm saved. I'm saved. Are you saved? I'm saved. I'm born again. We have all kinds of little fancy Christian words, and they're biblical. We have all kinds of things. I'm saved. I'm born again. But do we really understand what it really means? You're not going to understand it, what it means until you realize you are the ungodly. Because as Christians, we begin to think we're better than everybody else because we're in church or because our lives are getting cleaned up and God starts doing a work in us and we stop doing the things we were doing and then we look at those people that we're, are still doing them and we point our finger and go, shame on you. You need to be more godly like me. No, we're still ungodly. I found in my life, the closer that I get to God, the more I realize how ungodly I really am. The closer I get, the more I realize, Lord, I'm just so undone. That's what Isaiah would say. He was undone. I mean, it's just the closer you get, the, you can't, the closer you get to God, the more your faults are revealed. If you think that we're perfect or you think that you're perfect, then I'm going to suggest you're not looking at the right God. You're looking at something else. Because when you look at the holy God of the Bible that has demonstrated his love for you and for me by sending his only son, Jesus, including part of himself to the cross for you, that's a demonstration that's unbelievable. The cross is the, uh, one commentator put it this way, he said, if the cross... Let me, actually, let me back up. The work of Jesus on the cross for us is God's ultimate proof of his love for you. He may give additional proof, but he can give no greater proof. If the cross is the ultimate demonstration of God's love, it is also the ultimate demonstration of man's hatred. Think about that. If the cross, if Christ is on the cross, it's the ultimate demonstration of God's love. The fact that mankind put him there, what does it say? It shows you how bad mankind's hatred really is. How they, and why did they really put him there? Because he was shaking up their religious system. Because he was drawing people unto himself. Because he was doing miracles. Because he was doing things they couldn't explain. So they made up lies against him and put him on the cross. Man's hatred. They didn't like what he was doing. He was taking apart their, their, their financial system. It also proves that the height of man's hatred can't defeat the height of God's love. You see, the cross is the ultimate demonstration of man's hatred. It's also the ultimate demonstration of God's love, and God's love wins. Because Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. Now Paul turns his thoughts back to the benefits that we're receiving from being justified by faith in Jesus Christ. He's told us that we have peace with God. He's told us we have access to God. He's told us that we stand in the grace of God, that we glory in our tribulations. And now let's look at verse 9. Much more than... That's like even, you know, but wait, there's more, even better than that. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, justified means justified, never sinned. We shall be saved from the wrath or from wrath through him. That's we shall be saved from wrath through Christ. For if when we were the enemy, if we, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Much more than if God did nothing else except provide salvation and justification, it should be enough, right? But then here we find all these things that he's done for us. And now it says one more, add to the list, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Do you really believe 
as a Christian, as a believer, that I and you are going to be saved from the wrath of God through Jesus Christ? Well, Rob, does it say anywhere else in the Bible? I just want to read four places for you. John 5, 24, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Amen to that, huh? Romans 8, 1, we'll get there. Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. I just, I just repeated that one, didn't I? Oh, Romans 8, 1. There is therefore no, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. That whether we wake or sleep, whether we're dead or alive, we should live together with him. Then he says, therefore, comfort one another, edify one another, just as you also are doing you see as a believer in jesus christ but wait there's more we are spared the wrath of god we're spared the judgment of god when you get to revelation you read the white throne judgment the believers won't be there we're not going to be part of that we're sp- we're spared the judgment of god we're not going to have the wrath of god poured out on us we're going to be in heaven with our lord as a christian as a follower of christ we can be confident that we'll be saved from the wrath to come because the bible tells us so because we're sure of the word not because you deserve it Not because your church attendance was good. Not because you witnessed to so many people on the street every week. Not because you did your devotions most mornings. You see, we're we're delivered from the wrath because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. That's why we receive all the things that we're talking about here. Look at verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Not only that, again, but wait, there's more. We've now received reconciliation. Reconciliation. We don't need to wait until we die to be reconciled with God. You're already reconciled with God if you're in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's saying here. Yes, you're going to be reconciled when you're dead, but you're already reconciled. Because of Jesus Christ. Right now you're justified because God sees you just as if you'd never sinned. You say, wait a minute, Rob is still sinning. It's okay. God's, that's what God's grace is for. Not that we should, should we continue in sin so that grace should abound? Paul would say certainly not. Absolutely not. No way. God, if you truly are a believer, it's going to bring change about in your life. It's going to bring, it's going to bring a transformation that takes place slowly as you begin to conform to God's word. But this reconciliation, we now receive the reconciliation right now. It isn't, this reconciliation isn't only helpful when we die. It also touches our life right now. God is forever done dealing with believers on the basis of wrath. Think about that. He's forever done dealing with the believers on the basis of wrath. He may, he, listen, he may chasten you as a loving father. 
He may chasten you as a loving father, but not in punishment or payment for their sins. God only allows chastening and bringing and loving correction as he guides you. So you don't have to worry about, ah, what I've done, God's punishing me. God, the wrath of God, it's upon me for what I've done. Absolutely not, not according to the scriptures. Not according to what Paul's teaching here. Now, it doesn't mean that God won't allow your sins to bring circumstances that are going to bring change in your life. It doesn't mean that God, won't, that God will remove the consequences from your sins. Our sins still have consequences. If you go out to the, if you leave church today and you go over to Martin's and you steal about three or four turkeys, they're going to call the police and they're going to write you, arrest you for shoplifting. And you're going to have to go to the judge and they may put you in jail. And if you sit in jail and you look at God and say, God, you've forsaken me. The pastor said, you're not judging me. You understand it's not God judging you. It's the consequence of your choice. You know, if you choose to steal the turkeys and get caught, guess what's going to happen? God's not, God, God, if, if, you're, if you're a Christian, God will still look at that and see that as, as you will still be justified as long as you're repentant. You'll still be justified before God. But it doesn't mean you're going to be justified before the judge. It doesn't mean you're going to be, if, 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 you were, if, if you go commit adultery on your spouse, you can still be justified before God, but you're not going to be justified before them. There's going to be some consequences. There's going to be some problems. There's going to be a bunch of stuff that goes along with that. And hopefully those consequences will bring you closer to God. But unfortunately, oftentimes they're what drives people away from God. And oftentimes it's people even do those things because they've gotten away from God in the first place. And those are just a couple of examples. So if you're a believer this morning, you can be confident God is not punishing you for your sins. It doesn't mean that you won't bear the consequences for your sins, but God is not punishing you or judging you for them. It doesn't mean that he's not chastening you. It doesn't mean that he's not correcting you. It doesn't mean he's not allowing this tribulation, this thing in your life, so that he can draw you closer to him, not farther away from him. It really grieves me when I hear people uh, going through something difficult and they begin to push God away, and they, especially when it's a believer. Listen, when you go through something difficult, draw close to God. It, for, I, I, can't give you, I can't tell you why it's happening. People always, why is it happening? I don't know why it's happening. But I know that if you're a believer, that God's allowing it to happen for a reason. And there's something you can learn in it. There's something, you can, you, there's something out of it that he wants to show you about yourself. There's something that he wants, to, he wants to teach you. Again, notice what comes along with salvation or justification. As I summarize this section, I want to read it again. Because I think this passage is so beautiful. I want to read from chapter, from ver, chapter 5, verse 1, down to verse 11. I just want to read it, and I want you to follow along and listen as we've kind of talked about all of these things. Let me just, see, just put it all together in your mind. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, we also glory in tribulations, knowing that our tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by, justified by his blood, 
we shall be saved from the wrath. It's the wrath of God through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. His life. The resurrection. Not only that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Not only are we justified before God, we receive all these things. Peace with God, access to God, standing in the grace of God, hope in the glory of God, saved from the wrath of God. Is there any reason why any person should not come to Christ? None. Why would someone refuse this? Why would someone not want this? Why would someone want not want part of this? God demonstrated his love for us when we're at our lowest. When we're at our lowest. I think it's got to break his heart when someone says, no thanks, I don't want that. Think back to the drug addict, or I just use that. I know that a lot of our families are, are touched by, by drugs and alcohol and things like that. Think back to the person that's suffering. Somebody you don't know, would you die for them only to give them an opportunity and it wouldn't even guarantee that they're going to accept it? God showed such dramatic love to us when we were enemies. Think of the blessings we will enjoy once we're reconciled to God. Think about it. If he loved us while we're enemies and he died for us while we're enemies, look at the blessings that we get. As, as, look, at, look at the blessings that we're getting as we, as, we, as we believe in God. If God does this much for his enemies, how much is he going to do for his children? That's us. We should never doubt that God's got our best interest at heart. When we come to passages like this, these 11 verses, they are so foundational in our faith. They should cause us to rejoice. It should be a passage that's written on your heart. Underline it, mark it, read it often. When you begin to doubt, God, are you really there? Are you really part of my life? Do you see what's going on down here? God says, yeah, I see what's going on. I got it all under control. I got it. Don't worry. Just focus on me. Just focus on me. Go back and realize what benefits we get. Next time you wonder, God, why are you letting this happen to me? Is this a consequence of some choice that I've made? And it's just allowing it, God's allowing it, so I will turn from that and, and come back to him? Is that what's taking place there? Or do you just need to be reminded that God really does love you? Because sometimes our, you know, oftentimes our basic need is love. And you go, does anybody love me? God loves you. How do I know? He showed you. He's not just telling you. It's not just a song that we sing in Sunday school as little kids. It's, it's something that he demonstrated. We just read he demonstrated it to us on the cross. And if he does that for his enemies, what is he going to do for his children? So, Father, I thank you for this passage of Scripture. Lord, that you love us. That you've demonstrated that love to us. In an unbelievable way, in an unfathomable way. Lord, would you forgive us when we forget that? Would you forgive us when we kind of take our salvation and, and what you did at the cross for granted? Lord, may you renew in us this morning how what it really means, what we really have in you. Lord, when we're evangelizing, when we're telling our friends about you, may we not just stop about, talk about heaven as an eternal place. May we talk about what we receive right now. Peace with God, access to God, stand in the grace of God, saved from the wrath of God. Lord, it's unbelievable. Thank you just doesn't seem like enough. But thank you, Lord. Thank you for loving us just the way that we are. In Jesus' name, amen.